while they're still transitioning, um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16 is where we're going to be today. And it says this, in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 16, Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all the house, to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray before we begin moving through this. Lord, your word open before us. Lord, I pray that you give us humble hearts. Lord, every every man and woman is right in his or her own heart. Scripture attests to that over and over again. We're always right. Lord, with your word before us right now, Lord, we don't want to be right in our own eyes. We want to be right in your eyes. So, Lord, I do pray that you contend with the pride that is within us, and, Lord, that you soften our hearts to your word that we're about to move through. Lord, I pray that you give me the joy and the wisdom needed in this moment so that you are glorified, so that as we leave this place, Lord, we are marveling at you and your goodness towards us because, Lord, we will see, I believe, who we truly are, in ourselves, but Lord, what you've called us to be. And Lord, help us to also recognize this, that in humility you delight, that in repentance there is great joy, but Lord, in your word there is great comfort. Lord, be with us as we press into your word. Your spirit within us is the same spirit that moved men to pen these words, and your spirit has sustained it throughout all ages so that we may know what you desire of your people, so that we may know you more. Lord, we love you. Pray this on your son's holy name. Amen. All right, so we're going to move through this. And uh, they're both very familiar passages, no doubt. We know the Beatitudes. We know the salt and light. um, And they could actually be preached absolutely as two separate passages. But whenever they come together, to me, there's like this culminating effect and that's, I hope, what we see at the end. And, and you see the Lord's Supper up here. Um, after our time of reflection at the end of the sermon, then we will rejoice in taking the Lord's Supper together. Um, but, but these could absolutely be two separate passages. We're just going to do them together. Because to me, 
it, it just fits really, really so well. And, and I hope that that, that that makes sense as we move through it. But uh, some preliminary things before we hit the scripture. First thing that I want us to hit is that these words are not meant for the world, right? These are words for his disciples. It says that, that he sat down and his disciples came to him. So this would be that Jesus sat down uh, upon a rock or something, then the disciples, and if we say we're Christians, that we would, we would be part of that group and we would go sit down and we would listen to him. He's talking to those who are wanting to follow him or who are already following him. This is not something for the world to do. They will not meet these characteristics because they are not of him. Okay, so now could we just white knuckle it and bear down and start making a checklist and mark these things off of, oh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be um, humble. I'm going to work on it. Absolutely you could. That's not the heart of it. The heart of it really, I think, comes down to Ezekiel 36. Before you and I were ever born, before you and I were ever sitting here as professors and followers of Christ, he gave us, God gave us his promise in Ezekiel. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's the, the language of the new covenant. It's what God promised long ago that we would be able to walk because he would do a work within us and he would change our hearts and he would put his spirit within us and he would cause us to walk. So I also want us to be humble as we move through this too. Humble in that we've probably broken many of these beatitudes, if not in the past and if not right now, then one day we may. But also humble in this that all that we are accomplishing and realizing in the beatitudes is because of the work that God's already done within us, and we take that for granted. Next thing I want to look at very quickly and clarify is this word blessed. I mean, you know, unless it's like a hashtag blessed, like I don't like see blessed around there. It's like on shirts, but it's like a hashtag blessed. It's, you know, like even at Thanksgiving, it's this thing that we market. But I don't think that, you know, whenever Trent and Christy asked me this morning, they're like, how are you doing? I didn't go, blessed. Blessed as I can be, because that's weird for me to say blessed. Like, I, we don't talk like that. So, when, so like, the best that we've come up with is, oh, well, it, like, as we're reading this, a good way to understand it is happy. Like, and that's probably what y'all have heard, right? Like, this means happy. Whenever you see blessed here, it means happy. And, and it does help, but it misses the mark a little bit. And by missing it by a little, it misses it by much. I love how the Expositor's Commentary puts it because they just cut right to it. Happy will not do for the Beatitudes because it has been devalued in the modern usage. I can say that I'm happy today. And in fact, if you ask my coworkers, they'll say, how's your day? And I'll say, it's great. But they also know the other side of the conversation is, for me, every day is great. It's just on a scale of 1 to 10. Like, so everything, every day is a great day. I'm always happy. It's just on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy am I? All right, so happy just doesn't really capture really the heart anymore of what blessed means there. So I thought that it would be good to kind of wrestle with that briefly because we're going to hear that word blessed. But for me, whenever we really grab this, it really does deepen our appreciation of what's going on here. So with that said, the word that we trans, that's, that's blessed, that we translate blessed, is actually a makarios. It's a, a Greek word, makarios. And it has two other words that kind of feed the meaning, 
but makarios is the word that we translate into happy. And, and I'm not going to give you like the other two, what they call cognates, the other two words that have like similar meanings. I'm just going to kind of break it down into what do we need right now. And so it kind of comes down to this. The word blessed, makarios, describes a person. This is my definition, like my Arkansan, like translating it down into, it describes a person who is singularly favored by God and therefore is in some sense happy. Like if we look at makarios as it's used and we understand the correlation between like the other Hebrew words, whenever it like talked about the happiness or the blessedness of someone in the Old Testament, that it came down because they were favored by God. Right. So as we look at 19, uh, Psalm 119, um, blessed is the one or Psalm one, blessed is the man. Happy is the man. Yes, because he's favored by God. Like it's not just he's happy. It's not this fickle happiness. It's not this emotion. It's a state of being. Does that make sense? So so it describes a person who is singularly that's favored by God and therefore is in some sense happy. Okay, here's the rest of it. But this is not just a happiness because of a state of affairs, but because one has been favored by God. In other words, one who is living a life or doing something that is pleasing to God, therefore garners God's favor. Blessed is that person. Therefore, they are happy. So they can endure all things with a sense of joy and happiness because they know that they are pleasing to God. You need to understand that because of Christ's work on the cross and His Spirit within us, blessed are you, cross life. Not because you have kept perfection, not because you know all the Scripture, not because you are perfect, but because of Christ imputing His righteousness onto you, by Him giving you His righteousness, by Him fully satisfying the wrath of God, as you and I sit here today as messed up, people as we actually are, and as much as we have broken His law, we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, and we are new creations, and we have God's full favor right now. Blessed are we. Like, that's just something to hold on to. I'm reading A.W. Tozer's, um, one of his devotionals right now every day, and it just kind of messes me up whenever A.W. Tozer talks about how wicked and wretched of a man that he is because I hold Tozer right up here like he's on this pedestal and he's basically saying over and over again, oh, before God, I am a sinful wreck. There is nothing good in me. He saved a wretch of a man and how much worse would I be? And I'm like, you're Tozer. You wouldn't be anywhere. Like you're just like, but, um, you know, the, the godliest people that we know, if you listen to them, They know and acknowledge their own sinfulness and they delight in God and His grace. That's where I want us to rest. Like, blessed are we because of who we are in Him. So then it sounds like this. If we understand blessed and and we think of it biblically, then it sounds more like this. Happy because He is favored by God is the one who's poor in spirit. I'm not going to do that every time today. Just once you get the idea. Happy because He is favored by God is the merciful. Happy because he is favored by God is the peacemaker. Happy because he's favored by God is the one who is persecuted. So that's, that's a lot of it. I'm going to go a little bit further with the word. It goes on, it says, The Greek makarios describes a state, not of inner feeling on the part of those to whom it is applied, but of blessedness from an ideal point of view in the judgment of others. 
So there's the Makario. So the first part is we're happy because we are favored by God. But the deeper part of Makarios too, the other part of it is that as others are looking in, judging from outside, they say that person is blessed. And the only judgment that you and I should truly fully care about is the judgment of God. He's the one who sees our hearts. No matter how much we justify our sin, no matter how much we try to like pacify and make ourselves comfortable in sin, he sees the heart. We know our heart and to like defend, there's a quote, I love it. A sin defended is a, is a sin twice committed. Because it's not against one another that we sin fully. It's against God and God alone. And so he being the judge that we truly care about, he sees our heart and there is Makarios. We are blessed. We find our favor in Him. I also want to make just a side note. If you really read Scripture, we, could care, we should absolutely, as believers, care about the judgment of others. All throughout Proverbs, it talks about um, the blessing of having a good name, how, we, how a good name should be esteemed, how we should care about our reputation before others. We're going to see that at the end here, that we being the salt and we being the light, like we should be radiating. We should, like others are going to be looking at us. We should welcome that in our lives. It's an intimidating thing to know that an onlooking world, or sorry, that a lost world is looking on us and that we bear that opportunity to be the salt and the light, and yet it's what we're called to. And I'm just going to contend from the very beginning and as we get ready to push into this, we've made it way too hard in trying to be the salt and the light. Like the point and the thrust of all this is that as we are being these things in the Beatitudes, then we are naturally going to be the salt and the light. It's not separate things to, well, I've got to go be the salt in this way. I've got to go be the light in this way. No, I think that as we are being these things that the Beatitudes um, clarify for us, that we will naturally be the salt and the light. We tend to focus on the what do we need to do, salt and light, instead of who we are. And as we realize who we are, then we will be these things. So that's kind of the thrust of all of that. That's a culminating point. Okay, so blessing in this context is not how we feel is, and is what I'm trying to get to. It's, it's who we are. We are blessed because our God has given His favor to us. That's who we are. Okay, just to balance it out with the New, New Testament understanding too that this sounds different, but you also will like, if you think through the Beatitudes, in Galatians, Paul said, but the fruit of the Spirit... Those who have the Spirit within them, the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, such there's no law. That fruit, like we, we identify them as like these separate things. You know, it's one fruit of the Spirit. And as that is working within us, then these things are, as the Spirit's working within us, these things are becoming a reality. And the Beatitudes are an expression of those. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones said, just in, just in general. Y'all hear this? He said, Jesus must have control not only in the big things, but in the little things also. Not only over what we do, but how we do it. We must submit to Him in His way as He has been pleased to reveal it in the Bible. And if what we do does not conform to this pattern, it is an assertion of our will. It is disobedience. And it is repellent as a sin of witchcraft. 
One last thing to consider before we, before we do this text. I want us to humbly consider these words that we're about to read as we allow them to work within us. Consider how radically different the following words are for us compared to our modern Christianity. Jesus begins his public ministry. He delivers his sermons and he, the Lord Jesus Christ himself says, this is the pattern of the life of the people who will follow me. And how radically different is the Sermon on the Mount from, from modern Christianity. Like we spend so much energy making our sins comfortable, rationalizing words and actions that we know are wrong. And so we do not honor him. We celebrate victories that are not our own. They were actually his, but we celebrate them as our own. In other words, we carry a pride that he hates and we do not, and we spurn the humility that he desires. We spend our time in pulpits talking about, um, like self-help, self-encouragement, um, uh, philosophy, like we, and we're not getting into his word. Like these are the words of our Lord. And they are radically different than I believe what the state of modern Christianity actually looks like. If we would just like be humble enough to stop and realize this. All right, here we go. The Beatitudes. As we pause, brothers and sisters, and hear what he says, I just want us to understand the verses so they can work within us. It says, and he opened his mouth, Jesus. <laughs> God in the flesh opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Y'all, the poor in spirit are those who see their spiritual bankruptcy. They are the humble. They know that they bring nothing before God. Like just, I'm, I'm going to kind of break it down into like um, modern thought like so that we understand. They are humbled, in other words, by their own recognition of their sinfulness. They know who they are. They know they need God. That's what that poor in spirit is. They know they need God. To be, in, to be poor in spirit is not to lack courage. It's to know their bankruptcy, that, it, that there's nothing in them that they get to bring to the table. And y'all, it's these, it's those of us, who enjoy Messiah's reign. Like that's how one commentary put it. They enjoy Messiah's reign and his blessings that he brings. We, we joyfully accept that he rules all things. So blessed, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who know that they need God. So cross life, how is the poorness of your spirit before a holy God? Oh, I have so many words I could say. I'm just going to kind of, Skip over those and just go down to that. Like, how is your, the poorness of your spirit before a holy God? Because he said, blessed is that one. I love the promise. For theirs is the kingdom of God. You're gonna, we're going to do this at the end, but you're going to see the first beatitude and the last beatitude have present blessing. Everything else, by the way, you're going to see this. For they shall... But they, they shall be, they shall be, they shall be is all throughout all the Beatitudes, except for the very first one, the poor in the spirit, and then those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Theirs is. You need to understand that in our humility, our spiritual bankruptcy before God, ours is the kingdom of heaven right now in this very moment. Everything else, we get a taste of it, we get a foretaste, and we get the fullness later. Right now, you have the fullness in that state. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
who mourn. I mean, that's one of those where it would be weird. You go, happy are those who are sad. Right? That one doesn't work if you just go with happy. But blessed are those who mourn. That is, they mourn for sin, for personal sin, for public skin, uh, sin, for national sin, for local sin, like whatever the sin is, like it, ju- it doesn't sit well with them. It doesn't sit well with us. It makes us mourn. Y'all, there are echoes of Eden, of the joy that we had in the, the, un- the unity that we had with God, and it was broken, and it echoes throughout all time, and we long for that purity again. Blessed are those who mourn for sin. Not just sorry for their sin, but they mourn over it. They weep over it. Because y'all listen to this. They shall be comforted. For the sin that breaks us in this world and in our lives, God sees that. He sees the brokenness. And you shall be comforted. In part now, but oh, in fullness then, when he wipes every tear from your eye. God, y'all, does not by our rationales. He's not swayed by us trying to convince him that our sin is acceptable. That's, we deceive ourselves. We dishonor his majesty. We cannot be okay with that. So we mourn, and we know that we mourn. Cross life. How is your mourning over sin? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the humble is what that means. Meekness, though, is not weakness. There's a big difference. Meekness, we know what weakness is. Lack of strength, lack of courage. Meekness is power under control. It's willing to lay the power aside, to lay the authority aside, because you know that it's not yours necessarily to wield in that moment. But what we tend to do in our lives, if we're not careful, is we let pride come in, we assert ourselves, and we puff out our chest, and we bear it in our strength, thinking that we have something to prove to others whenever really it's that Christ has come because we could not prove ourselves to Him. Meekness understands that. Meekness will silence our words. Meekness will cause us to sit silently. Blessed are the humble. Best understood is power under control. Isaiah 57, 15. I want you to hear this. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits in eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell, he says, in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. Isaiah 57, 15 says it this way, God, the Holy One who dwells in eternity, says I live in two places, the high and holy place of heaven and in the heart of the humble. And all throughout Scripture and all throughout Proverbs, we see a very clear statement. God hates the proud but gives grace to the humble. I have post-it notes in my office and one of them that I have right in front of me where I'm working right now is a reminder over and over again, that in pride there is disgrace, but in humility there is wisdom. And on another one, there's another one, that God hates the proud but gives grace to the humble. You and I live in a proud world, and God favors the humble. The sovereign God who dwells in eternity dwells in the heart of the humble. 
Meekness and humility. Because we're wondering, like, where do we get that? Meekness and humility. I noted it's not something that we develop, but something that results from a true view of oneself, so much so that it expresses itself outwardly to others. Whenever we are just real with who we are, and we truly know who we are in light of God's holiness and goodness, but also just in light of our own strengths and weaknesses, whenever we're willing to to be comfortable in that, then we will truly begin to express humility to others. Cross life. How is your meekness? The meek shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This means that those who Hunger and thirst do not do it only that they may be righteous, y'all, but the fuller meaning is that, but that justice may be done everywhere. Righteousness is not just like something we possess. Righteousness is something that will fill the earth. And what we understand in that is that righteousness is when things are done right. But blessed are those, those who find favor with God are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in the personal sense, but they want to see justice done everywhere. The brokenness of the world breaks their heart. It upsets them. They want to see righteousness everywhere. And they long, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they long for Christ's return. And because with his return will come full righteousness everywhere. Justice will be executed. And when Christ returns and that righteousness fills, then they long for that. And you know what? You shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you they shall be satisfied because he's coming and righteousness will be exacted. And until then, we keep clinging. But also want to just push in, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the Lord. Blessed are those who desire him, who want more of him. It begins to drive and change their schedules radically. They want His Word. They want to know Him more. Cross life. How is your hunger and thirst for righteousness? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I love this one. It's so simple. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. One commentator, I think it was uh, John Stott, he put it this way, Mercy embraces both forgiveness for the guilty and compassion for the suffering and needy. It is the meek who are also the merciful. For to be meek is to acknowledge to others that we are sinners. To be merciful is to have compassion on others, for they are sinners too. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And if we do the negative of that, then we see this, that if we do not give mercy, we shall not receive mercy. Just carrying on that that inverted truth, it kind of comes out more like this. That if we don't show mercy, then it shows that we didn't understand that we even received mercy. But we received mercy. And because we've received mercy, that works itself within us and we begin to show mercy. Later, whenever we get to the Lord's Prayer, 
that unless we forgive, we are not forgiven. Why? Because the forgiven forgive. Not because it's easy, but because we've been forgiven. And we who have been forgiven eternally much can forgive so much more in this world because we've been forgiven on a grander scope. Those who have been shown mercy will be merciful. Happy because they are favored by God are the merciful. And you shall receive mercy. Cross life, how is your mercy? Like to others, how is your mercy? Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. The greatest hope I can give you is that you will see your God that you love and desire so much and who saved you. Like right now, we just have this foretaste. In this world, we have the not yet. Not the no, but we have the not yet. Right now, we have part of what we are going to fully experience. But blessed are the pure in heart. And what that means is that they have a single-mindedness. They are utterly sincere in their devotion to Christ. They are not hypocritical, in other words. They are in private who they are in public, and they are in public who they are in private. They are the same because their heart is pure and genuine. It doesn't mean that they are sinless. It means that they have a pure devotion. They are utterly sincere. They don't profess to love God and then deny Him by their actions, by their thoughts, or by their speech. They are pure in heart. One commentator said, The one who is single-minded in commitment to the kingdom and its righteousness will also be inwardly pure. Inward shame... Deceit and moral filth cannot coexist with sincere devotion to Christ. Cross life. How is the purity of your heart? Because the pure in heart shall see God. Blessed, next one, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The peacemakers are those who make peace, not only uphold it. It doesn't say blessed are the the peaceful, blessed are the peacekeepers, but blessed are the peacemakers. Instead of delighting in division and bitterness and strife or some some divide and conquer, conquer mentality, disciples of Jesus delight to make peace wherever possible. It's what we do. And those who undertake this work are regarded as sons of God. So cross life. How is your peacemaking? Because the peacemakers are called sons of God. And then these last two blesseds are really one together. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't know if you noticed, but it's the only extended beatitude and probably for good reason. We probably needed that comfort. 
Probably need to know that as we live out a godly life, we will be persecuted and that our God who is delivering these words says, I know they will persecute you. They're absolutely going to persecute you. And I need you to rejoice because they did this to all the prophets who ever came before you. Like we need this reminder that when things get heavy on us because of our beliefs, that as we are persecuted, that God knew that and it's what we're still called to. It's how we respond in our persecution very likely that will let us shine our light greater or be even greater salt for the earth. But you need to hear this, that God regards as blessed those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Y'all, the world loves its sin. It loves its sin. It cherishes and delights in it. And those who love God love righteousness. We don't mix well and we never will. So we can either hide it under a bushel or we can do what we're meant to do and radiate that light. But as we radiate light, then we expose what is in darkness. And I I, kind of have it noted as this, a cornered animal will attack. Like as we are pushing into that darkness, we are pushing into Satan's territory and he doesn't like it and he will attack and he will mobilize the world to attack those who love righteousness. Second Timothy 3.12 says this, indeed all, we haven't really been flipping a whole lot. I've just been kind of, tr- I'm sorry. Let's, let's just, let's do second Timothy together. Everybody flip to second Timothy chapter three, verse 12. I just want you to see that this one is absolutely in Scripture. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Good scriptural truth for you, but so convicting. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You can do a whole sermon on that one right there. But Paul is just echoing there what Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount and what he told us um, in uh, in other discourses. The same truth is all throughout Scripture. Those who desire to live for God will be persecuted. It's just a truth of Scripture. Okay, go back all the way to Matthew chapter 5. In verse 11, it says, Blessed are you, I'm just doing this again, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecute the prophets who were before you. I'm going to pull this all back. But the world hates godliness because it exposes their wickedness. That's why we're persecuted. They are not believers. They're going to sin because that's what they delight in. They are not believers. They will not therefore love what believers believe. They will not honor what believers honor. The comfort that the world gives itself is is called into question whenever we begin to live differently. And you know what the Beatitudes like show us? Not like a checklist of what we need to do, but as the Spirit works within us, it shows us like this is just who we are. Like if you've ever been persecuted because of your righteousness or your religious convictions, then blessed are you because you're actually living them out. 
If in your humility you feel like the whole world is so much better and like you know, like in, your, in this humility, you need to understand that you're going to inherit so much more than this one moment of momentary exaltation, but you will inherit the earth. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness and you're like, this makes me totally weird to the rest of the world and you're striving and you're changing your schedule and you're wanting to know his word and you're investing in that and you're pouring into community and you're loving and delighting in the Lord, then you need to know like that's going to be rewarded. Like we are different because we are different. He made us different. He put a whole new heart within us. He put a whole new spirit within us. And as we live this out, as we live out the Beatitudes, it will lead to persecution. I wonder why I'm not persecuted more. And it may very well be because I'm not living actually according to what Scripture says. But if you look at the first beatitude in this last one, I highlighted this before. Almost all the beatitudes have a future fulfillment. Like they shall inherit the earth, they shall be comforted, they shall have mercy. The first and last ones are different. It's subtle and it's wonderful. The first one says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know that they need God. Like, so if you're sitting there, and even as a believer, you're like, oh, but I, I need God. If you know that, then it says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's present tense. You need God, and he's already got you. That's what that says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is the kingdom of heaven. You're persecuted because you belong to another kingdom entirely, and this kingdom hates you and you don't belong, and that's just how it is. The problem is, whenever we become so comfortable in this kingdom and the kingdom embraces us for who we are, Maybe in our efforts to be so relevant with our Christianity, so acceptable to others, we've actually lost the relevancy of Scripture entirely. We no longer live for God. We no longer look for God because we're not poor, like He's not working through us because we've kind of damned it up with our sin and with our, and with our mindsets. Dr. Horn preached at Eastside, oh, several years ago, he was an interim pastor and, and I wrote down one quote because it hit me in the gut. He says, do you know why we don't have the Holy Spirit these days? Because we don't want Him. And that stopped me. What is the result? Well, I'm, I'm sorry, let me, let me encapsulate that one as I've encapsulated all the other ones. Cross life. Have you been persecuted for righteousness' sake? You need to know that the persecuted possess the kingdom of heaven. And so the result of all of this, when we live out lives like this, poor in spirit as those who mourn, meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted for righteousness' sake, what will the result be? As we live out these things which we are to be, Matthew 5, 13 through 16 answers it. It says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God's people, y'all, living as God desires, will be a unique people. 
I think that the salt and the light is a culmination of the Beatitudes. To live out the Beatitudes, not by, not by what we manufacture, not by a checklist, but as a genuine expression of God's eternal change within us, it's going to have one result. We will live differently. And in living and being different, we will be salt and light automatically. The problem is we tend to focus on what? Salt and light. And what do we need to do to be the salt and light? And we need to focus on the how, which are the Beatitudes. As we are, as we are living out the how, then we will be these things is what I will contend. So as we live for God, just in conclusion, as we live for God, as He's expected us to live, y'all, our light will shine. As we live for God as He intends and He's expected us to, we will be salt. And when we don't live as He's called us to, we will not be light and we will not be salt. And that is usually of our own volition, from our own self-will and our own sin that we delight and choose. But if we would be what He's called us to be in these Beatitudes, God who took on flesh and sat down with His disciples and He said, happy are you because you found full favor with God are those who do these things. The problem for us today is that we've already begun to disqualify ourselves as we went through this list probably. I mean, if you didn't, then ask your neighbor how you are in those things. We don't delight in our perfection. We boast in His forgiveness and righteousness. Y'all, repentance is a good thing. We tend to not choose these things in our lives and they get stifled because they are so contrary to everything else that we see throughout our world. But when we know who we are, that we need God when we mourn for sin, when we desire righteousness, when we are merciful, when we live out like this, then God is glorified and His light radiates from us. Look at Jesus Christ who perfectly embodied all these things and was crucified for them. And we are no better than Christ. If He was persecuted and killed, then so shall we be persecuted. And should they kill us, it would be under His sovereign rule, right? Not that I want to be killed, by the way. Just saying. Hypothetically speaking. But y'all, the Beatitudes tell us how we, to, how we are to be. The Sultan Light tells us what we are to be. And this all comes from the God who tells us who He intends us to be. But as we've disqualified ourselves, I just want you to rest in this. We cannot disqualify what God has already qualified. He has already died. Even when we were enemies, He died for us. You and I are not disqualified. We're just a work in progress, and He is faithful and just. So we get to come to it in a couple of ways. Like, I've got, I said a couple, I've got three for our conclusion. Then we're going to have a time of reflection, then we're going to Come to the Lord's table because He said, though you were enemies, I've welcomed you in. Three lenses to think through or three scopes. What if, brothers and sisters, you realize your sin in all of these? Then confess your sins. Confess them. Be pure in heart. Be humble. 
desire righteousness and be utterly dependent on Him, for He will not turn you away. Or, Christian, maybe you have found comfort and promise in these. So then what do you do? You praise God for His goodness, for He loves to hear your voice, and He will not turn you away. So that's to to the Christians in the room. If you've gone through there and you realize that you've faulted and you've broken these, or you haven't lived as you were called to, then you repent. Repentance is a good thing, and you know that you are forgiven completely and fully for all of eternity. Or you've you've listened and you found comfort because you're like, oh, that's what I long for. Then you praise Him. And the third scope is this. But what if you... What if you've heard all this and you, you know that you are not a Christian? You know that you have, based on hearing all this, you have not committed your life to following Christ and you do want to know more because you've heard just a glimpse of the promises of God and that brings you somehow some joy in your heart. Then I want to encourage you to do this. That as we go into our time of reflection, Christians all around the room are going to be praying. And as they're praying, I'm just going to keep my eyes up. I'm just going to be praying over you with my eyes open. And if in that, you know that you are not one who follows Christ and you definitely want to know much more, then all you have to do is just make that eye contact with me. And we will follow up in God's timing with how we need to walk that out. Does that make sense? Okay, because these are words for Christians, but they are words that have such deep, eternal promise because our God is good and He means every word of them. So I do pray as, pray for you all as we pray that you, Cross Life, will be poor in spirit and know that yours is the kingdom of heaven. That you will mourn for sin and know that you will be comforted. That you will cultivate meekness more and more knowing that you shall inherit the earth. That you will hunger and thirst for righteousness knowing that you will be satisfied someday. That you will cultivate more mercy knowing that you shall receive more mercy. No, or I'm sorry, that you will cultivate a purity of heart knowing that you shall see your God. That you will grow as a peacemaker for so shall we be called sons of God. I'm praying that you will someday when persecuted for righteousness boast in this that yours is the kingdom of God and that in all these things we shall be salt and light. That's why I'm going to be praying for you as you are praying. And then if you are listening in on all this and hearing all the wonderful grace and goodness of God then all you have to do is just make eye contact with, with me and we'll communicate with only our eyes and then you can bow your head and we're going to move forward into our Lord's Supper. I am going to ask um, Brownie to come up here and play for just a little bit and he will come and lead us through our Lord's Supper after um, or as we reflect. I'm going to say a prayer for you all as we start this time of prayer. Lord, show us. Lord, show me. May this be the heart of our prayer, heart of our prayer. Lord, show me how it is that you see me. That's what I want, Lord. I want to see me as you see me. And repent of those things which you are showing me, and find comfort in those which you are showing me. Lord, show me my heart as you see it. And Lord, equip us. 
to know you and to delight in you more and more. Amen.